Welcome to Books, the podcast, the only podcast about books. I'm Tim. I'm Tom. And we are booksmen. Yes. The triumphant Back in the return saddle. to books. We're both booksmen for the first time ever on the yeah, show. Yeah, we, we both have entered the gauntlet of books together as brothers in arms. Booksmen's in arms. <laughs> what we do is we each read every other word of the book, <laughs> and then we come together here and put it all together so we yeah. can kind of uh, crack the code. <laughs> yeah. We should see how fast we can do that, just going back and forth word by word. <laughs> um, yeah, Tim. Uh, books, huh? The, you were... Can I talk about something real quick? Yeah. Uh-huh. I rediscovered an old friend this week. Oh, um, <laughs> you're not going to say jerking off, are you? <laughs> Why would I say that? I Why would you think that that's what I... <laughs> I don't know. You seem very proud of yourself. No, no, no. It's uh, the cold brew in the afternoon. Mm. Cold brew coffee. Not a yeah. cold brew as in a beer. Oh, yeah, I know. No, <laughs> that is what brew. I thought you said, what I thought you meant at the beginning. I was like, oh, Tim's <laughs> just, just discussing a, a fall into becoming a problem drinker. <laughs> nope. It's a fall into having energy at 10 p.m. when we do this. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got to get back on, because uh, we, we had a few uh, like kind of unseasonably warm days here. Yeah, it's a great spring trick. It's a it's yeah. a great way to like really enjoy. Hey, because also uh, we're gonna spring forward pretty soon, so it's gonna be lighter later oh, into the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. And it's when does be like, that happen? Right, well, I don't think I've ever known when that happens more than like twelve hours in advance. <laughs> you know what, Tom? This is very funny you mentioned that because there was uh, a, a Seinfeld joke. I watched an episode of Seinfeld. I uh-huh. think it's called the Susie. It's the one where um. Uh, where Susie George dies, Suzanne. Yeah, and then uh, no, 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 that's Susan. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's like where Elaine's coworker thinks her name is Susie, oh, and George's yeah, answering yeah. machine is the believe it yeah. or not. Uh-huh. But like, I had never. I watched it right before we recorded this while I was eating a burrito. Um, the burrito isn't important to the. the <laughs> yeah, the I don't know why story. you included it. But it was an episode, like, there were scenes that I hadn't seen before. Like, I don't think I've ever seen this episode in full. And uh, Or do you think they might have been scenes that were, like, added in? No, no, because, like, it was like, oh, this plot makes a lot more sense Mm -hmm. now. Um, I think I just never saw the beginning of this episode. (laughs) And it starts with uh, Jerry and Kramer, your favorite actor, Michael Richards, walking down (laughs) My favorite stand-up comedian. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And... Kramer asked Jerry um, when daylight savings time starts. He's Uh like, oh, we're going to spring ahead pretty soon. And Kramer goes, oh, when does that start? And Jerry says, I don't know. They just tell you the day before. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that certainly (laughs) seems like it's the case. Yeah. But it it was a joke that I heard for the first. It's a 25-year-old joke that I heard for the first time today. And then you organically made it an hour later. Look at that. What's the deal? So you're saying Seinfeld stole that joke from me? You yeah, said it was a new should, scene that you hadn't seen before, Tim. You should and find with, him. He's somewhere drinking coffee in a car. Yeah, with probably driving around Manhattan in like a like a 1940s Porsche. Yeah, um, yeah. 
you know, with deep fakes nowadays, Tim, you you can't tell what what's what's real on TV and and what jokes they stole from me and, and put into old TV shows. You know, I've been Jeez, writing Tim. I've been writing to the president about this quite a bit. And, <laughs> um, Tim, this book has made me. Uh, oh, you were gonna you you were tell, telling me about buying the book earlier. That when yeah. you when you bought it, you bought another book with it. Yeah, Tom. I, well, I what's hope your to history? God it was the Bible. Well, of course, yeah. yeah well, you, you told need, me that I should be saved. It. Yeah. Um, what's your history with Chuck Klosterman? Um, I think I've read two of his books. Let me let me look at his yeah, uh, me... over. Oh, what's that word? Over. Over. Uh, Chuck Klosterman. Yeah. Um, I started to read, I wear the black hat. Mm-hmm. No, I read, I read, I wear the black hat. I did read it all. I just didn't, did nothing really stuck. Um, I read, uh, but what if we're wrong? I read eating the dinosaur. Uh, maybe that's it. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at, at at least like his, you know, like popular books that pop up when you search for his name. I look, I'm looking at his uh entire discography here or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um I think I've read I've read Fargo Rock City, Killing Yourself to Live, I Wear the Black Hat, but what if we're wrong? Sex mm-hmm. Drugs and Cocoa Puffs, Chuck Closerman 4, Eating the do- the Dinosaur. Um I think that's it, and I and I read the first novel, I think Downtown Owl. And mm-hmm. my assessment of all of this is like, eh, it's fine, I guess. I think I just like reading him because like I get all the references. Yeah, he he's not necessarily one of my, f- you know, like uh, favorite writers or anything. But what he writes about is like right in my wheelhouse. <laughs> so. It's kind of hard not to like him, I guess, not or not to, to like not be interested in what he's saying. Um, I mean, I think he's like very. It, it's funny to me not to get into talking about the book yet. Well, actually, yeah, we'll save it. But, but what were you going to say about buying the other book? Yeah. So as a 40 or a 39 year, I'm not quite as old as you are, Tom. Uh, <laughs> a man say. in my 30s in Brooklyn, bearded cis white man um i went into a hip bookstore very progressive bookstore a great bookstore tom Mm -hmm. um right in our neighborhood we it's it's between our two neighborhoods i'd say tom is it uh green light books is that what you're talking about Mm -hmm. okay yeah you Um, like how i deduce that by by thinking about the bookstore in between the two of us (laughs) um and uh went in there and I was like, oh, I but, know what I need I, to get. This was yesterday as I was scrambling to, you know, uh, get to the bookstore yeah. before it closed and then get home and read uh, the quarter of the book uh, yeah. before I went to bed. Um, so I just went in there and picked this up off the shelf. And then I was like, uh-oh, these people are going to judge me pretty hard for just coming in and being like, <laughs> one Chuck Klosterman book for the bearded Brooklynite white man, please. Yeah. So uh, there's also this book about Jay Dilla that I've been wanting to read. 
Um, so just put another $30 on old Tibby's tab um, just so I don't look like a cliche man. Yeah, but did you like go and buy it from a guy that looked just like you? No. Oh, okay. I, I was going to say, say then uh, he wasn't going to be judging you too hard. There's a woman that treated me with contempt either way. <laughs> yeah. And uh, also, I don't even think she... It tracked. I don't think she like saw or like cared what I was buying. It was also like five minutes before they were closing. <laughs> yeah, I've always like uh, uh, had that experience at a bookstore. Like anytime I'm expecting somebody to comment on the books I'm buying, nope. Like they don't even look at the cover. They're just looking yeah. at the the UPC code. And then when somebody does comment on a book I'm buying, I like don't. I'm like, huh? What? Oh, uh, that's a, I don't know anything about it. Somebody asked for that and I'm buying it as a gift. Like you say UPC code and not barcode. Yeah. Universal product code code. That's redundant. Cause a barcode, well, a bar, a barcode is just the the medium. Yeah. But a universal product code is what they're actually scanning. The man you can have bar- retail. You can have barcodes. Well, a man who's had to differentiate between a UPC code and a serial number barcode. Hmm. Two different types of barcodes. Riveting. <laughs> Tim, I was uh, 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 reading this book and remembering the 90s, and I... Uh, have you, when we were in high school, because we were different years, uh, I was advanced and I, <laughs> they'd in skip, age, yes, <laughs> they skipped me ahead of as grade. you continue to be. <laughs> um, did you take art classes in high school? I did in junior high, yeah, seventh and eighth grade. I did, yeah, me too. And then they like just, I wanted to keep taking art, and they were just like, nope. Like yeah, they tell like they made me choose like art or music. You're one yeah. or the other. <laughs> yeah, because we all know people who like art hate music, and people who like <laughs> yeah, music exactly. hate art. Nobody's good at both. You have to choose. <laughs> um, I didn't even have that. I just don't know what it was. And I remember like actually like making a stink of like I want to take art class, and they were just like, nope. Um, the teacher doesn't like you. You, you creep the teacher out. You, you stared at her no, too long. No, I don't think it was that I creeped the teacher out, but I think the teacher just didn't like me. Like, because everybody- you were bad at art? No, I don't think I was- I can't really remember. I'm, I would not be surprised if I was bad at the art they were making us do. <laughs> right, but it wasn't the right medium for you. Kind of, because it, it was probably stuff that was like- I don't even remember what they had us do. I feel like it, it Mac- was a lot of macaroni art, as I remember. <laughs> no, I feel like it was kind of like shitty art, like that it was like a little too freeform. That they weren't like teaching us like here's how like perspective works, here's how light yeah. works. Because um, like I took art classes in college, and then like a few years ago, I took a that was just to see a nude model though, right? Yeah, and guess what? I got to see him. So jokes on you. Um, <laughs> I got to see that old man's dick and balls. So, and then I had to draw him. Nice. Um, no, and then I took like a drawing class uh, at the uh, uh, at the 92nd Street Y years ago. Really? Yeah. 
You knew about adult that. Adult education? Yeah, adult education. I took like a drawing class and I really liked it. It was fun. Was that again in the hopes of <laughs> no, seeing there a was, nude there person? Were, there was not even a promise of a nude person being uh, there. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, and then in college, I remember I... I, I <laughs> I remember we had to like draw, we had to make an autobiographical book at the end and I made a book and on the cover was me as a pirate with like a, like a portrait. I remember that picture. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good picture. Thank you. And painting. And the art teacher was like, why did you draw yourself that way? And I was like, I don't know. That's what I felt like I should do. Like it would be good. And she like literally showed everybody in the class and went, this is a true artist. You, Tom yeah, Riddle, the me. true artist. Yeah, and wow. like there were art Big. majors in there because everybody else just had like very literal takes on their thing, and I, yeah, uh, weird stuff. True artist, goofball Tommy coming in. They but think I, it's art. I've been drawing again, Tim, uh, and I I wanted to show you. I'm not going to post it online, but I want to get your live reaction to Ooh, a, a drawing that I made today. Self care. Of uh, Mr. Crisp from Kindergarten Cop. Oh, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna slack it to me? Uh, gonna... No, I'll I'll just turn the camera here. Okay. Oh my God, <laughs> Tom, that's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. Is that did you did you trace that? Uh, no, I used uh, like a reference frame, oh, so wow. it's like a painting of a frame. But yeah, it's him as he's getting mad at Dominic. Yeah. But also, you know, it's Dominic, I love you. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to tell. I think it's right when, because I pulled up the YouTube clip and paused it. And I think it was when he right. told, uh, he was mad because he thought like Arnold Schwarzenegger was trying to be, replace him. Right. Yeah, so getting back into art. And uh, Chuck Klosterman's reminding me that like in the 90s, I was like really into drawing just for the pleasure of drawing. And how I'm like, oh, I really like drawing. Like, I wonder if I would have like considered that professionally if, you know, some random teacher wasn't like, eh. Tom, I don't like you, his attitude. You write left-handed, right? Mm-hmm. What well, sunk also, me? Yeah, huge problem. Well, what sunk me in seventh grade art? Where and was it Mr. Cook that you had? Yeah, he didn't like me. Because we did a calligraphy unit, mm, yeah, um, and he was like, "Oh, left hand." Like we had to use different pens. Yes, as left I remember people. that. They, they, they were like, didn't... "Well, we have like one of these pens from the '60s," and also they were like, "And the technique is different, but we're not going to teach you. We're going to teach <laughs> like everybody else is right-handed, so we're going to teach them, and like you figure it out." Yeah, and like I, again, this is much like we, we covered in the gym class episode last week yeah where it's just like well and especially as a lefty it's like you already have horrible penmanship because you've been taught wrong how to how to do yeah, regular exactly writing. and then there's this whole unit and it's just like hey we're gonna teach everybody else how to do it and we're not gonna teach you how to do it and this is a grade that like you know yeah we'll then you, determine like, if you stay in yeah. our classes or not yeah or just like get to like i was a straight a student and then mm-hmm. it was just like suddenly there's this unit and some bullshit art class where it's just yeah. like you're not going to learn how to do something because we're not going to teach you and you're going to do poorly and it's going to bring down your average um and then you're just gonna quit art because of this guy yeah this old hippie yeah that was the thing i feel like all the kids in there were hippies too yeah 
It was. It Tom, was, if you had stayed in that art class, you would have become a real stoner in high school. Yeah, I know, right? And instead, I was like a real punk. They didn't want that uh, that oh, punk you were energy. A jock, Tom. <laughs> they didn't want that punk energy in there. Uh, yeah, I was also a jock. So they didn't want the jock energy. It's also uh. the class clown. They didn't want that energy. It's a lot of energies. They, I mean, I swear to God, I'm I'm being a hundred percent honest that it it actually does really piss me off that they really did just want the hippie kids. They really did yeah. just want the kids that weren't going to cause problems and were going to be fucking mellow. Like, because I remember. I remember other very talented. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, when you put it that way, yeah. I, like, they only wanted kids that wouldn't be a problem for them. It's like, <laughs> yeah, right, which, yeah. like, I can't blame them for. But, like, I, I remember other kids. There were other <laughs> they kids. They didn't want me there just because I would be difficult. <laughs> for no, no reason. No, but I probably wouldn't have been. Because, like, I don't know. They, there were a lot of hippie kids. Um, but I remember, too, there being other kids that were, like, bad kids or like um like kids kids with like uh you know like attention deficit disorder so you know could be uh you know uh what's the term i'm looking for like Like you're lumping them in with the bad kids no no but like disruptive in class so they didn't want those kids um that there i i'm thinking about those two groups because i'm distinctly thinking of like uh, somebody that had like pretty bad ADD that everybody knew about, and like a kid who was like also a different kid who was like just a bad kid, <laughs> like a delinquent. Um, that were both like very talented artists. Were like even as a kid thinking like, oh, that could be their way. <laughs> like that could be how you know they they get through these issues yeah. that they're having. And it was just like, no, nope, too much of a problem in class. Fuck them. Yeah. Well, we should go back in time. Hopefully, Tim, through this book. Tim, I've been trying to go back in time. You know about my <laughs> what I've poured all Your my money into. Yeah, exactly. My laser array. <laughs> um, Tom, uh, this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, can I just tell you? All right, this is a book uh, about the nineties. Yes. Let's let's see what the thesis is here. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. from the. New York Times bestselling author of But What If We're Wrong, which that was probably my least favorite book of uh, Chuck Lowe's. Yeah, it was you know very kind of like, it was like a decent premise, but like weak execution. Yeah, a lot of it is just like dorm room shit where it's yeah. just like, it's like, uh, you think this is more profound than it is, but like you got to think about this for five more minutes before you like <laughs> yeah. write a whole essay about it. Like, uh, I can poke a little. From the New York Times bestselling author, but what if we're wrong? A wise and funny reckoning with the decade that gave us slacker grunge irony about the sin of trying too hard during the greatest shift in human consciousness of any decade in American history. No, that I don't know about that. I don't know if that's a thing you can actually ascribe to any decade. Like, well, this is the thing, and I see this a lot. And I'm coming from the same perspective as him. He's like ten years older than us, Tom. Mm-hmm. Um, but like his whole thing is like very much, and he owns it. Um, ironically, in this, but like it's just like. Uh, he speaks for everybody when it's clearly just his own perspective as <laughs> yeah. a 20-something in the 90s um, 
you know, middle class or upper middle class white and with an easy life, right? Like, and that's like, yeah. and that's we'll talk about it. That's evident in the the long chapter about Kurt Cobain, and then the um, well, and he mentioned how how uh, studious have you been with uh, reading the the footnotes in this? Oh, or, absolutely. Or, yeah. Oh, are they in the print version? Or are they just like at the bottom of the page? Yeah. Okay. So. Because I I've been having to like flip back and forth. I'm reading it on yeah. a, on an e reader, and um, I just remember one of the cliff notes was him, you know, footnotes or, or footnotes, not cliff notes, uh, owning to like, hey, just so you know, I'm basically like the Gen X stereotype, right? Which is very funny. Yeah. Um. But then there's one thing. Sorry, I'm looking for. Um, a footnote that like he acknowledges his kind of like myopic worldview. Yeah. But also like in a way that's like, yeah, all right, you got me. (laughs) But like, (laughs) but I mean, um, what can he do? You know? Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. But like, I guess if the premise is like, I don't know if the premise is is uh, like. I don't oh, know if there is... even necessarily is a premise. Yeah, transparent. This is one uh, footnote. Transparency requires me to admit a few yeah. things here, if only to aid those primarily reading this book in order to locate its biases. So already he's just like, look, if oh, you're, trying you're trying to, to attack cancel me. me. <laughs> I was born in 1972. I'm a white, heterosexual, cis male. I was economically upper, lower class in 1990. Middle, middle class in 1999. Lower, upper class. Like, the fact that he's, like, lower, upper class, middle, middle class. It's just, like, yeah. he's, like, taking the piss out of it, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Whatever. That's fine. He acknowledges it. He mm-hmm. acknowledges it in a snarky, annoying way. But, like, right. but that's, that's also hey, how he that's writes. That's Gen X in him. Yeah. Do you, I think I identify with the Gen X mindset more than I do with the millennial mindset. Oh, really? Because like, as I was reading this, I was thinking like, man, I hate, I hate Gen X. <laughs> like, No, there's all the talk about like selling out. Like he does. Well, I don't okay. know. Well, We're so let's, let, yeah. yeah, let's get, well, let's get into that. Because uh, that's kind of in the introduction he talks about that is of selling out. Uh, and he said, uh, selling out meant you needed to be popular and any explicit desire for approval was enough to prove you were terrible. Um, it, and he talks a lot about the idea of selling out and how that's like a foreign idea nowadays. Like nowadays you can't sell out. There's really not a way to sell out. Right. Um, which like is true. Oh, which and that is, sucks. And that's what sucks that everybody needs a personal brand. And like, oh, yeah, you have to like the only way you could be successful is to like um, essentially serve the master of one like of five mega corporations at any point during your day. Yeah. I mean, he's he's not wrong there, but I think uh, the reason why they're they're personal brands nowadays is because the gatekeepers are gone or or diminished where like you know somebody like him when he started his career he didn't need a personal brand because he could you know have a publisher kind of lend their brand to him 
Right. I would argue that's a good system. I think we need gatekeepers. I think <laughs> bring what back we see the gatekeepers. That, no, without gatekeepers, that's how you get fucking Joe Rogan being able to just be like spout off whatever and be like, "Hey, people listen to me." I got and it's yeah. like, "Well, there's there's nobody like you know, checking to see if you're right or if this is the right information to be broadcasting to millions of people well, every day." I mean, I I think that that's different because my only problem really with Joe Rogan is that Spotify refuses to like stand by, you know, ref- wants to have it both ways with him. Whereas I think like if he weren't with Spotify, like, okay, then no gatekeepers. Like he gets to say what he wants. It's freedom of speech. Like you might disagree with it, but. You know, as and like I would even say, you know, certain directories have 100% have the right to like not include him, but as long as he has right. like an RSS feed, you can listen to it. I think it's bullshit that Spotify's pre- pretends like he's not, you know, yeah. they's We've, barely affiliated with them when yeah. it's like either, we, we don't, yeah, yeah, throw them off or, yeah. yeah, but but yeah, there's. But actually, that's like a good example of Joe Rogan. Like Joe Rogan was not really criticized for like selling out uh, mm-hmm. for signing up with Spotify. Well, I think the fact that everybody's fine with selling out or being like, hey, get yours. Like mm-hmm. this, a, a company with a market cap of a billion or more dollars is, is the way to get rid, like getting into yeah. bed with them mm-hmm. and like, doing this is the way to be successful um, is kind of like seeding that like we lost the war. Like we're going to just like accept the fact that these mega corporation, I keep saying mega corporations, like I'm a fucking Gen Xer, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like control everything. And like that the fight is lost. Mm-hmm. And I think like uh, uh, Pearl Jam's quixotic, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a fight against uh, Ticketmaster, Ticketmaster mm-hmm. was just like, hey, look, let's see if we can, like, look as a band, as a popular band, we have to essentially play in this arena, right? Like, yeah, we have we ha- to, like, yeah, these are the only size arenas that will, that, yeah, can, and we have to play ball with Ticketmaster mm-hmm. and, like, let's challenge that so we don't have to get into bed with this evil company that is screwing mm-hmm. us and screwing our fans. Yeah. Um, and they tried that and everybody fucking laughed at them. But like, yeah. it's just like, I think they were envisioning a better world and a better system. And now everybody is just like, you want a better world or a better system? <laughs> oh, you think musicians should be able to afford to eat and pay rent? Uh, no. Uh, if Spotify deems that you should make enough money, mm-hmm. uh, otherwise just like, uh, go on tour and sell merch. Well, I think the, one of the differences there is that like back in the nineties, people weren't as diversified. There wasn't, there weren't like multiple income streams. If you were Pearl Jam, it was you. I mean, yeah, there were. There, you sold records. You toured. You sold merch. But but you, through each you of didn't those, license your music. That's for goddamn sure. <laughs> but each of those options, they couldn't do it on their own. They had to go through somebody else. Fugazi didn't. Well, but Fugazi didn't become Pearl Jam. Did 
Does Chuck Klosterman, Chuck Klosterman seem like he's never heard a Fugazi song in his life? <laughs> why Why do you say that? I don't know. Just the, the way he writes about him. I don't know. Yeah, he talks about them like a, a little-known band, Fugazi. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I do think what he points out with the idea of selling out, um, I, I do agree with because there was like a time in the 90s where being against the idea of selling out was like a big part of a lot of uh, people and bands identities. Mm -hmm. So when they like built up the goodwill from their fans, when they were like, we're never going to sell out. Like we care about you. We care about the fans. And then they did turn around and sell out. Then it was like, oh, come on. Whereas I think that's one of the differences nowadays. Nobody pretends like they're not trying to sell out. Right. Um, but when it takes selling out to be able to afford to live a basic life yeah. in oh, society, I mean, that's I, different, right? I like if it, per, like Pearl Jam made no bones about the fact that like, hey, we're making a lot of money and we yeah. are rich and we are rock stars. Um. Yeah, I I think it's mostly just that there were so many instances in the '90s of people getting goodwill saying they wouldn't sell out, and then immediately selling out that it like ruined the idea of not See, wanting to sell out. And if Kurt Cobain didn't kill himself, yeah, he had two more years before everybody turned on him and realized like, hey, you're on the cover of Rolling Stone and you think it's real punk to write on your shirt, corporate magazines still suck. Yeah. But like you are a multi, multi-millionaire and you're on the cover of this magazine. Like, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It, like what? But, so how are you exactly sticking it to them by doing this? Yeah. And, uh, and I'm sure calls when, out when a phenomenon. you mentioned like that idea, they were probably like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Great. <laughs> like yeah, that will really catch people's too, yeah. eyes at the newsstand. Um, Glosman like articulates something that I had never really considered where this is true. It's kind of like the contradiction of like Gen X will be like, um, it's so shitty to sell out. You should never sell out while also acknowledging that it's stupid to, um, tell people not to sell out because they should. And like, I feel like that's where I feel like uh, a Gen Xer, where I'm just like, look, I have all these uh, deeply held beliefs. Right. But it's all, and like, I'm also like, yeah, but like, I know this is all stupid. Like, <laughs> yeah. my, my opinions are stupid too. Well, so, so much of this, I mean, the first chapter is titled Fighting the Battle of Who Could Care Less. Do you know what that's a reference to, Tom? No, I didn't realize that was a reference. What is it? Ben Folds 5 song. What's it called? The Battle of Who Could Care Less. <laughs> oh, okay. You never rest fighting the battle of who could care less. And then here it is. Uh-huh. Unearned unhappiness. Ah. Uh -huh. You're my hero, I confess. Mm-hmm. You, know, you sing any uh, more of it, Tim, we're going to have to pay royalties. Oh, I, I, I give all the proceeds of this to Ben Folds. <laughs> um, all the Patreon money goes straight to Ben Folds' coffers. Well, hopefully hopefully, I'll eventually see some of my money from this. 
Um, but yeah, it, it's it, a lot of it is about how in the nineties it, it, it just wasn't cool to care like mm-hmm. that. You could spout off these things, but then like you can't really get, you couldn't get, which actually I do think we could use a little bit of nowadays that like, if somebody does something you don't like, you don't care about them anymore <laughs> instead of yeah. like making it your mission to be like, fuck this. I'm doing a tweet thread. Like I've, I've tried to embrace that apparently yeah. like politically, uh, especially politically in like the last couple years right. where it's just like, Oh, I'm not going to get into political arguments. I'm just not exactly. I'm just going to not engage. And yeah. like, if um, this I, person is in my life and like they're shitty and they have shitty views that annoy me enough, I'm just going to mm-hmm. be like, eh, fuck that. I'll just talk to yeah, somebody else. Um, exactly. And like, it's so great. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, I, I'm not going to change their mind. I'm not interested in arguing them about it. Just, yeah. all right. I'll put my energy where it's more useful, uh, which now, I, I think is a Gen X thing of like, don't expend energy on shit that doesn't matter that or that you're not going to be able to affect. And, you know, that's that's what got Gen X labeled with slacker and everything when it was more like, you know, just a realistic response to the boomers of like, well, no, I'm not going to buy your bullshit. I'm not going to buy your lie that like, oh, if I really care hard and do good in the mailroom, one day I'll rise up to be an executive. No, fuck that. It doesn't. That's not going to happen. That's a lie to get me to work harder. So I'm just going to do the bare minimum. Yeah. Um, I do think he did a good job of like contrasting that kind of Gen X stereotype with the actual like, yeah, actually, no, it wasn't like that generation wasn't um Ethan Hawke in Reality Bites. That was like a <laughs> small a percentage of them. Yeah. Most of them were like the striving careerists of friends, right? Like yeah, who, yeah. where he's just like, yeah, like that shit was way more popular. And there were, you know, I, yeah, I, I thought what it was other... interesting. Yeah. He compares Reality Bites to friends because they came out around the same time and featured people around the same age. And, yeah. uh, yeah, I mean, you know, people don't Friends is like the quintessentially 90s show about like being young, but at the same time none of those people are painted as like ah, the stereotypical Gen X. Uh exactly. which is like, nah, they're just like, you know, they're all quippy. <laughs> Everybody's quippy in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> um I also liked uh that it started off with him talking about uh, the Mandela effect, and uh-huh. he takes my yeah, stance of uh, <laughs> the sizable number of um, of North American bozos who <laughs> remain certain that Mandela died in prison during the 1980s. It's just like, yeah, you just didn't remember you something, yeah, right? You weren't paying attention. You, yeah. Somebody else died, and you got confused or whatever. Like, yeah, you never hear about, like, actually, I was a... a uh, biographer of Nelson Mandela and I distinctly remember him dying. <laughs> yeah. It's like people who you know, nobody nobody who who believes that, can you ask like, okay, when did he go to jail? Just a year. <laughs> what, what year did he die? Okay. So who yeah. was elected president of South Africa <laughs> in, instead of him? Like, yeah. Point um, to South Africa on a map, even like <laughs> exactly. 
No, that's uh, just I the bottom of Africa. The... That's a little too broad. <laughs> um, I yeah, do think I, I, the Mandela effect is talked about. I, I probably said this before, but the fact that so many people point to like, look, even the Simpsons got it wrong. When it's like, no, you know it from the Simpsons. Yeah, exactly. And and I know that because that's where I know so many dumb bullshit things. It's like, no, they got it wrong, so you knew it wrong. Right. But I do think it's interesting. He talks about uh, how, like, in the 90s, it was like, well, if you're at a table of four people and two of them were adamant that he died and you weren't sure, it was like, well, I guess he died. Like, yeah. you couldn't. I think it's interesting. He talks about how. It was the it was the beginning of us being inundated with information, but not having like easy access to it yet, not being able to like recall. So it's like the beginning of there being, you know, hundreds of cable TV channels, but there still weren't DVRs or or on demand stuff. So it's like we were getting flooded with information, but if you miss that information when it was being streamed across the airwaves, you, there wasn't a way to go get back and, and get it again. And also that everybody was fine with it when he was just like, you know, if you missed yeah. an episode of Seinfeld, which like more people watched any given episode of that than uh, the Game of Thrones finale. Right. Um, it was you like, could eh. catch it in reruns. Otherwise, it was like, all right, <laughs> well... Whatever. Yeah, people um, did. People didn't care that. as much. Yeah. I like remember when the iPhone came out and it was like, oh, this is going to be the ultimate argument ender at bars. Yeah. Like, if there's a disagreement, it's just like, I don't know. Now you won't have anything anymore. to talk about. Exactly. <laughs> it's just like, and then like once you have all the information at your fingertips at all times, then like you have to know about stuff all the time, and then like you feel guilty for not you know, knowing or not caring. Yeah. Or, yeah, or not caring enough or not being at least like, well, you know, I know about this thing that's happening on the other side of the world right now because I got a push Mm. notification from the New York Times on my phone and I was out having a nice time. (laughs) Right. Should I not be having a nice time anymore? People are dying. Yeah. Ugh, too much information. And like, I don't, I don't, I don't know enough about this. So I'm just going to have to like trust. Like find Gal Gadot, tr- <laughs> <laughs> whatever she says on Twitter, I'll I'll just um, take her side on it. I guess no, but it's like oh, I have to just like find people whose like opinions I agree with, yeah, and then just like parrot what they say. And like I'm saying this because I do this. We're just mm-hmm. like you know I don't really know about this, but I saw somebody that I like on Twitter say X, Y, and Z, and. That so now that's my opinion, I guess, but like, but not yeah, Jamel Bowie uh said a thing, so I'm going to like passionately tell my friend that this is what I believe, also. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm choking on whiskey I, over here. Tom. I've never seen reality bites, me neither. I was thinking, I was, Tom, that should be the movie for this <laughs> that we watch at the end. Well, I think we, we should, we should rent a theater. We should. We should have uh, a thousand of our closest friends at the biggest <laughs> theater in New York City. No, I think because a lot of this stuff, a lot of the references, I I obviously know because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm obsessed with the '90s. I came yeah. of age in the '90s. Um, things like reality, but I think anything that he references that I'm not familiar with, I am going to seek out. And mm-hmm. so, like starting with reality bites, 
I'm sure there will be more things to being like, eh, I know that this is a thing. Yeah, but I've never but, seen it or listened to yeah. it or whatever. Um, I yeah. do think it's a little, like, from his perspective, like, I think he's defining the Gen X thing mm-hmm. in the 90s. Like, he's just saying, like, okay, the any decade is, he doesn't outright come and say it, but it's implied that any decade is defined by the people who are in their 20s in that decade? Yeah, is that what he's saying? kind of, yeah. So, like, if a book came out about the 2020s mm. in a few, in, you know, a couple decades, like, our perspective would not be represented at all in it, assuming, yeah. but, like, or is it just him just being like, no, this is my perspective here? Yeah, I think like, I think it's just kind of him saying what, yeah. what his perspective is, because, you know... But we, is a generation defined by who to like? I guess so. Like we always just define little, yeah. the '90s by Gen X. We define the tw- the 2000s by the millennials, right? Yeah, but I mean, you know, we were kids still for for most of the '90s, and you know, we're we're younger than him. We're like a decade younger. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, I remember a lot of this stuff being in the media, but, you know, the 90s were different for us than they were for him. And like, you know, he's not he doesn't touch on like, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Super right. Nintendo and stuff that was, you know. Not yet. We don't know. That's true. But but, you know, that were a lot more important to people our age at the time than uh, people his age at the time. Yeah. Um. So the first uh, the first chapter is Battle of Who Could Care Less, um, mm-hmm. and it's about the apathy or perceived apathy of Generation X, right? Yes. Like that's mm-hmm. generally what that first chapter's about. Yeah, I think we've we've covered that. Do you have anything else to say no, about that? No, no, that's it for for that chapter. Um, then there's a little uh, thing about David Foster Wallace and. Uh, Elizabeth Wurzel and Mark Liner. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I I know about Prozac Nation. I've never mm-hmm. read it, and I didn't know that other guy, Mark Liner. Yeah, I hadn't heard of him. I knew about uh, uh, Wurzel because she died somewhat recently. Yeah, and I and I remember like reading about her. Uh, you know, like reading her obituary. Uh, yeah. But uh, but yeah, that that was like a little you know kind of. Uh, inside baseball i think for for a writer yeah um and again it was like you know you're you're talking about like two young writers who were vaulted to like fame and like look at these writers these are the Mm -hmm. writers and uh I don't know. I just feel like that happens with every decade and it's almost always wrong. (laughs) Like, you know, those people almost always like flame out or, or just get less interesting. And, and I think that was the the point of, of this little mini essay, right? Where it's just like, at the time it seemed like these would be the voice of a generation. Right. Now, years later, it's David Foster Wallace for better or worse. Um, Mm. You ever yeah. read Infinite Jest? Nah, I've never read any of this mm, stuff. It's fine. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't go out of your way. Yeah, it's, it's, it's too big for me to accidentally read. Uh, uh, the Structure of Feelings, Swinging on the Flippity Flop, you know what that's a reference to? I don't know what that's a reference to. 
swinging on the flippity flop is uh i'm surprised it wasn't called out in here when the new york times did a um an article on grunge culture like uh-huh. in the early 90s they called up i think sub pop records in seattle <laughs> and there was a receptionist there and they were like, hey, can you tell us a little bit about grunge culture? And she just like trolled them <laughs> by like coming up with all of this slang oh. <laughs> um, that she said that uh, grunge rockers <laughs> used all the time. Uh, so she's like, oh, swinging on the flippity flop. Like, it's it's amazing. Uh I do miss that about like the nineties and, and uh, Gen X that like big into trolling big into (laughs) (laughs) not in the way that people are into trolling now. Yeah. Not not in the like, Oh, your feelings hurt. Like more in a, like somebody's asking uh, somebody serious is asking us about something. We're going to give them nonsense answers and see if they print them. And then we're not going to be Jasper. We're not going to turn around and be like, look, the New York Times is bullshit. <laughs> They're just going to be like, no, <laughs> yeah, exactly. we fooled the New York Times. Yeah. Megan Jasper. She was a sales rep at Caroline Records in Seattle. OK. Um, some of the uh, provided this lexicon of grunge speak coming soon <laughs> to a high school or mall, mall near you. Wax slacks. <laughs> old ripped jeans. Uh Plats, platform shoes, swinging on the flippity flop means hanging out. <laughs> Sound and hagged means staying home on a Friday or Saturday night. Harsh realm is bummer. Cobnobbler is a loser. Bloated or big blag of bloatation is drunk. Lame stain is an uncool person. Um, rock I mean- on is a happy goodbye. I mean, well, that last one's true. I mean, I think that and, was like, uh, ironically, um, probably adopted <laughs> after this. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, some of these, I feel like uh, I need to yeah. work into my lexicon. Wax lax. I'm gonna start wearing some wax lax stuff. <laughs> um, well, that reminds me. I, I think it's it's perhaps later on. Um, uh Mickey Rooney talking about uh uh um, Andy Rooney. Andy <laughs> Andy Rooney talking about Kurt Cobain. And he said, Everything about Kurt Cobain makes me suspicious. Uh Rooney <laughs> said, Rooney said on 60 minutes a few days after the suicide. This picture shows him with a pair of jeans with a hole in the knee. I doubt Kurt Cobain ever did enough work to wear a hole in his jeans. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong, but also that was just the style at the time. Yeah. They sold the jeans like that. And guess what, asshole? He might have ripped, ho- ripped that hole in his jeans falling off a skateboard. That's how those kids had holes in their jeans. From I mean, Kurt Cobain off. never freaking rode a skateboard. I'm sure, I'm sure he had. Kurt Cobain was insufferable. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like he was... Uh, like very similar to John Lennon of like, wow, this guy's a genius, but like Jesus Christ, if I had gotten stuck in an elevator with him. Yeah. I do like that quote, you know, where like early on closer it's like talking about uh how he uh like was talking shit on Pearl Jam and Eddie Vedder. Mm-hmm. Um but near the end of his life, Cobain's view of Vedder softened. He told MTV, We never had a fight ever. <laughs> 
I've just always hated his band. I consider him a person I really like. I, I like, have the I same like thing highlighted. <laughs> yeah. Where it's like, how could you fucking hate Pearl Jam? Like, <laughs> I mean, if you're if you're Kurt Cobain, yeah, you do hate Pearl Jam. Yeah. Even though Versus is a better record than Nevermind. Um, but maybe but not even to be like, you know, I've never really been into his band or I never liked his band. No, I've always yeah. hated his band. <laughs> How can you hate them? They're they're not that dissimilar. Um, yeah, and just a weird way to be like, nah, he, he's a good guy and everything. I just hate his band. It's like, well, what? Just keep that to yourself. Don't talk about that in an interview. <laughs> you're you're just you know uh, stirring shit for no reason. Uh, yeah. Also, in that chapter, they were talking about how he made uh, Courtney Love return a Lexus she bought. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's cool. Courtney Love stinks, and I think oh, yeah. Chuck Loserman goes out of his way to like write her out of the narrative and be like, all those songs on Nevermind were about the drummer from Bikini Kill. Yeah, um, and like you know, like I think anything. I don't know. I don't like Courtney Love. I think I don't like Courtney Love either. But you know, there there is. I mean, I guess like Alexis is like flashy, but you know, again, this is one of my problems with Gen X, where it's like. I don't know. Is it cool to just like pretend that you're not rich when you are I rich? Mean, it's definitely one thing to buy a Lexus. Like a yeah, Lexus has a connotation yeah, to that's, it. That is the difference. Um, um, but like, I don't know. First line on uh, In Utero, teenage angst has paid off well, right? Like, yeah, yeah. And, he acknowledged and who is it that, more true for than him? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. like he, yeah. he acknowledges it. cool. Yeah. I don't know. I think that whole, like, I have no qualms about this chapter where it's like, yeah, I guess, like, culturally you could, like, uh, that it's not a new thought that, like, never mind changed the culture from, like, the 80s to, to the 90s and, like, mm-hmm. even though it's 91. It's just crazy to me. I thought this, uh, we were hanging out with AJ um, last September. It was mm-hmm. actually... Uh, baby shower in the park uh-huh. and i was like you know today is the day that never mind the low end theory and blood sugar sex magic all came out uh yeah. like 30 years ago or whatever it's wild that that those three albums came out on the same day yeah it is really uh crazy i yeah i think i knew that about uh blood sugar sex magic but but i think i forgot about it i didn't know about uh tribe called quest um also i have i have in my notes here i highlighted uh that uh 46,251 copies of nevermind were shipped to stores generating a brief scarcity of resources um that like i remember it's probably like some of the one of the last cds i ever bought buying um uh outcast the the double album that that they did love below yeah and speaker box. Um, yes. Uh, I remember uh, being in North Carolina and having to go to multiple stores to find it. Oh, and really? Like, yeah. And that being that, like, we haven't stopped selling physical media completely. But back then, like, things would sell out. Where nowadays, it's like, no, we'll just print up fucking a million of these <laughs> and we'll throw yeah. out the unsold copies. They cost us five cents to make. Yeah. 
I mean, that was cool. Which isn't as hell. necessarily like, better. I know that I am now getting into like boomer territory or like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm I'm at this stage in the generational life cycle. Mm. But it's just like things were better when you had to intentionally I think yeah. art is better when uh, you have to intentionally seek it out and you have to like uh discover it you, you know you have to like do a little legwork to discover things and try things out and like yeah. just having access to everything at, at, at once like we've talked about this a lot yeah, like it's overwhelming also like a new album comes out like even mm-hmm. from a band i like and it's like I listen to it for free or like for my eight ninety nine Apple yeah. Music mm-hmm. subscription a month, and like if it doesn't immediately grab me, it's just like okay, uh, on to the next thing, yeah. and I'll just never listen to that record. I guess again. I'll listen to any other music that's ever been recorded. Yeah, and I generally go back to like the music that I listened to when I was sixteen because like mm-hmm. when I bought a fucking record when I was sixteen, <laughs> yeah. I played it until I liked it. Yeah. I or rem- until I like you know like you know you put things together it's mm-hmm. something that's immediately um engaging yeah. generally isn't the stuff that's gonna yeah it, the yeah test of time. It, 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 it needs to be a little challenging last. yeah how do you pay eight ninety nine a month for uh Apple Music Tim you got somebody who got know. you a one dollar discount on there a one dollar is it nine ninety like- Tom <laughs> yeah. I, I'll tell you what I uh-huh. got the family plan with oh. Apple TV in there uh-huh. um. So I think I pay like eighteen ninety nine for everything, and I have the Apple Arcade on my phone, which all oh. that means is that like every few days I get a push notification about some game that I won't download. <laughs> it's like, oh, do you know that like Cube Farm is is coming out tomorrow? And it's like I don't, I don't, I don't I, care about I Cube still, Farm. I still have that for free, and I have like so many games taking up so much space on my phone that I've never uh. launched. <laughs> Yeah, just because I'm like, well, I I'm paying. I'm not paying for it. It's free, but it's like, well, I'm getting this for free. Why do you have it for free? Uh, I think when I bought my new iPad, I got more months for free. Maybe uh, yeah. something like that. I'm hooked on the after party, Tom. I like. Yeah, that, it's a good uh, show. Yeah, yeah. My my girlfriend uh, currently still has like free Apple TV. I think from the iPhone yeah. she bought last year. So we had to switch over to her account to watch that. Yeah. Well, must be nice. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's fine. It, you know, it's a Can little extra password? work. No, you can't get her password, Tim. Just give me her Apple pass. <laughs> I mean, that's the that's the smartest thing that Apple did. Like, I'll share my Hulu, <laughs> oh, my yeah. Netflix. I'll share any password, but it's like, Apple TV, you're never going to get my Apple password because <laughs> exactly. you'll have access to way too much Yeah, shit. you'll have access to fucking everything. <laughs> Yeah, you could you could go ahead and download like an iCloud backup of, of <laughs> yeah. all my data if you wanted to. Um, he talks later about uh uh like uh how uh, uh now the fantasy on the underclass were the same. Uh, with Kurt Cobain kind of bringing that in, Radiohead's Tom York labeled himself a creep. Breaks Beck's breakthrough single insisted he was a loser. Billy Corgan sang the song where he was a zero by 1994 self-flagellation had become a kind of philosophical fashion where it was basically like tearing down the idea of a rock star. Yeah. Where it's like, I'm not a rock star, man. I'm a creep. I'm a zero. I'm a loser. Um, also I didn't, I I didn't know that, uh, 
when Kurt Cobain flew home to Seattle to kill himself that he was coincidentally sitting next to Duff McKagan from uh, uh, Guns N' Roses. Yeah, yeah. Me neither. That what There's... a wacky coincidence. What was why was Duff heading up to Seattle from L.A. if not to kill know. Kurt Cobain to finally end <laughs> the feud between both of them for good? Tom, in the the four page chapter about um, Tupac after the the what. 15 page chapter about uh <laughs> yeah. Kurt Cobain where he again this is where Chuck Closerman is just like uh uh he's just like some people uh it, it's become possible in fact popular to argue that Cobain's suicide was actually the second most significant musician death of the 90s and that the 1996 killing of t- rapper Tupac Shakur mattered more what's slightly confusing is that this sentiment was already argued at the time of his murder uh, blah blah blah. Um, uh, it's true that Cobain's death re- received more attention, and that most of the U.S. music media was more invested in the passing of a white icon from the fading world of rock than the passing of a black icon uh, within the ascending world of hip hop. Mm-hmm. And then this is another, I think, snarky defensive mm-hmm. comment in the footnote that criticism that criticism can also be made of this book. The previous chapter on grunge is longer and more detailed than this mini essay where Shakur's story is almost presented as a coda to that of Cobain. It's not almost, it is. <laughs> yeah. um, despite the fact that Tupac ultimately sold more records than Nirvana, but is always a historically tricky problem. And then he tries to use some mumbo jumbo to, to <laughs> justify it. Can you tell me what this means? If one mediated subculture is imposed upon the culture at large while another subculture is mostly allowed to flourish in its own silo, the former subculture becomes the working language within both spheres, even if the latter ends up having a greater impact 25 years later. Is it just that, like, He's basically rap saying, more underground? And... Yeah, that, like, rap was isolated. That culture was its own culture, whereas, like, grunge culture was everything. But, like, that's not yeah. true. Because <laughs> like I'm sure the mediated subculture. Like shut I'm, up, man. I'm just, sure just a lot of it. just don't like I didn't know as much about Tupac as I did about <laughs> yeah Cobain. exactly. And I like, related I'm, more personally to it. And it's like uh, uh, I'm sure a lot of uh, like Tupac fans weren't really affected by Kurt Cobain killing himself because they were like, oh, mm-hmm. that's part of a different culture. That's not part of my culture. Like I don't really give a shit. Like. And also, I think like the uh, Tupac murder got a lot of attention because it was a murder. Like it's it's not very often that like entertainers of any type are murdered and especially in like an unsolved murder that that, you know, kind of came out of nowhere. Um, You know, that that just has more drama than a guy who put out three albums about being depressed, killing himself like (laughs) You know, there, Simil- yeah. there was more of a story there. Um, just from a factoid, um, mm-hmm. there was uh, like similar to the the Kurt Cobain sat next to Duff McKagan when he escaped mm-hmm. from the rehab facility. Yeah. Um, I never knew. It was speculated, though never proven, that the notorious B.I.G. was killed in retribution for buying the gun used to kill Tupac. I think I, I have that. heard that before. Yeah. That that's that that's the the speculation of like how he was involved in that because i mean everybody always thought it was like retribution in some way but that uh that that was specifically uh 
how it was. Yeah, I kind of thought like it was it's kind of weird in that chapter about Tupac, too, because he kind of like almost implies that like Tupac wasn't like it was like, oh, that was all like an act. That was all like WWE style. Like, look, he was an actor in high school and like, you know, this was all for show. But then things got too serious and it's like, nah, I think, you know, just people contain multitudes <laughs> and like he could be both like Kurt Cobain was so aggressively like marketed to all of us uh, that it was like, like you knew who call Kurt, out, Kurt Cobain was he, the Gen X who didn't care about anything. It was against corporate culture and there wasn't like another side to him, you know, but there was and, and but you didn't hear about just it. doesn't doesn't call it out like yeah so like he's he's quick to point out like like this seemed very hand ringy to me where it's just like you know he portrayed a thug but he was actually <laughs> well spoken yeah and sang opera in high school mm-hmm. but like he never mentioned like Kurt Cobain eschewed um like he wouldn't let his wife buy a Lexus or whatever but it was also like he clawed back the publishing rights from his bandmates when he started <laughs> making money because he wanted to be richer. Yeah, because like, he wanted more th- money. Yeah, and you could also say, like, oh, this guy is acting all depressed. Look at these pictures of the happy, smiling child when he was in school. You yeah, know, like, yeah. and like there are those pictures of Kurt Cobain. And like, he did enjoy like fucking with people and yeah. like. It's just like he doesn't mention those other sides of Kurt Cobain. Like he's very just like that guy lived like practiced what he preached, but yeah. Tupac was a phony. But like, yeah, because everybody knows it. teenagers. Who you are as a teenager remains who you are, <laughs> and you yeah, don't change exactly. as you get into your twenties. And like, two, yeah. there's no way Tupac wasn't just acting. You know, wasn't just playing everything up as he got into. You know, as he rose the ranks of becoming one of the biggest hip hop uh, stars of all time that like, no, those were all he didn't make enemies and like people weren't after him for anything, especially when when he had money. And yeah. Yeah. He's like and 20 years later, some lady that went to high school with him said, like, I think. (laughs) <laughs> somebody yeah. was making him put on that act it was just like all right. yeah yeah it's like all right some lady who went to high school with them but like i i've never heard that from like anyone who was close yeah. to him and yeah it is just kind of a like no nah, just i don't know you you don't really know about tupac you don't have to talk about him you can hmm. you know you can mention it obviously but but be honest just be like you know what that wasn't in my wheelhouse at the time uh i'm not gonna try and like you know, fit the narrative that I'm trying to sketch here by pulling some quote from somebody who acted in a play in high school with them, who, who that's, you know, their, their cocktail party, uh, you know, factoid that they bring out. Uh, I acted in a play with Tupac Shakur. Um, also he didn't mention, Tupac and Digital Underground uh, in the movie Nothing But Trouble, which was weird. <laughs> what do you mean? Why is that weird? I don't know. That's that's like my main reference point for Tupac. <laughs> it's like in Nothing But Trouble, he's like in, it was in the a, corner it was of that a, bi- scene. a big cultural moment. Yeah. 
All right. right, let's let's get to the main event, which I'm sure you really want to talk about. The yeah, Ross I was going to say, chapter. can we just skip the Ross Perot chapter? It's just a weird chapter of him being like, Ross Perot decided the election, but that can't be proven and it's not tangible. But here's like the evidence for it. And it's kind of like, yeah, all right, I buy that. But like, you're not really saying anything new. Um, I thought it was cool. That was the, that was the most in-depth somebody like like that i not somebody like me that i had uh read about ross Mm -hmm. perot like i didn't know that his stance was like anti-war um like it was like it was weird like there was like it's the venn diagram between like bernie sanders and pat buchanan where it's just like yeah he hates immigrants but he also thinks that we shouldn't get involved in wars that uh kill civilians uh for no reason yeah um yeah he was just like a excuse me just like a very pragmatic like hey let's let's do in in every situation let's do what's best for like the country's finances basically which is bullshit yeah um but also um i did like Two things. One, I thought it was interesting that, like, for some, like, the exit polling showed that 38% of uh, his voters would have voted for Bush if he wasn't in it. Yeah. And exactly 38 would have, uh, 38% would have voted for Clinton and the rest wouldn't have voted. So <laughs> yeah. Just, like, so it's like you didn't hurt either of them. But also, it is definitely, um, I think there's something to the fact that, like, an incumbent has an inherent advantage. Yeah. Um, and having a third party candidate, they're attacking the incumbent allows the other major party candidate to just to like keep stay their hands positive. Clean. Yeah. Exactly. And just be like, hey, here's my vision for the future. This other guy is fucking tearing the shit out of my opponent. Yeah. I'm just yeah, Mr. I positive here. I mean, obviously, like, we were both little kids. Not little, but, like, we were both kids during that election, so I don't remember a lot of it. But, you know, I've I've seen enough after the fact that, um, yeah, like, uh, Clinton really didn't attack Bush. He really didn't go no. after him. That it was all about, like, well, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm gonna yeah. have a and like he would have had to tear down Bush because Bush was popular, but like Perot right. was out there doing it. I um, also think it is. I feel like Perot doesn't get enough credit in the like annals of presidential elections. In that, like getting 19 percent of the vote as a third party candidate is like what is that at least quadruple any third party candidates like ever gotten in modern history oh yeah like they say he said like he got the most in like a hundred years yeah. or something right? i mean everybody like, yeah. you know uh blamed ralph nader uh for screwing up uh 2000 and what percentage of the vote did he get like a few percent and it was like that yeah. was enough to tip the election but ross Perot's out there getting one in five people to vote for him and then just kind of ended up a laughing stock and just kind of went away in a weird way. Yeah. Well, he was little, Tom. I did you enjoy the part uh <laughs> where um up until 2000 uh the taller candidate <laughs> presidential candidate always won. I did enjoy that. Uh I didn't realize that George H W Bush was 6'2". Yeah. I guess I never so, really thought about such it. Such a weenie. 
Yeah, well, they talks a lot about oh, he's a weenie, but it's assumed like ah, uh, he's like average height. Yeah. Um, I did enjoy this. Um, Perot launched his third party campaign on Larry King Live, a primetime CNN talk <laughs> show. Uh, the program's host was Larry King, an interviewer whose peculiar superpower was knowing next to nothing about the person <laughs> he happened to be interviewing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, w- w- and he talks about how it's like that was a great platform for Perot because then Perot yeah. just got to ta- give his whole story, give his whole spiel <laughs> out there. The Joe Rogan experience of the 90s. Yeah, I mean, that's that's probably not... <laughs> Joe Rogan be like, whoa. I never realized that. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's probably not too far off. Like uh, a talk show that just lets people say whatever they want and doesn't get any pushback because the person doesn't know what to even push back on. The difference was that show was 42 minutes of content. (laughs) Yeah. And at the end of the day, Ted Turner would be like, all right, <laughs> we gotta <laughs> we gotta cool it. Like we can't have uh, freaking David Duke on, <laughs> right? And uh, I I feel like he did have David Duke on, maybe, but like probably for like a but probably you know, you know eight a, minute segment. Yeah, and David Duke out. David Duke's never been on Joe Rogan, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, probably worse than David Duke has been on Joe Rogan. Uh, David Duke's David, pretty bad. I mean, is Gavin McGinnis any any better than David Duke? Um, currently, no. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely more of a present danger. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it, I don't want to get into <laughs> which races is worse, but <laughs> well, at least say David Duke at least had more of a track record as a racist that it would be more right. it would be more object- objectionable. Uh, just like it would for, for anybody to have Gavin McGinnis on now when it's like, nope, we know enough about him. He's not putting out <laughs> challenging ideas. He's just a fucking racist. Um, I just uh, Googled David Duke, Larry King, and the first thing that come, came up was a clip from 1991. Larry King asked Donald Trump about David Duke, yeah. which is just like a clip that is my worst nightmare. <laughs> I'm never going to watch that. <laughs> Yeah, he's right. He's like, well, you know, uh, he says some interesting things. I don't agree with everything, but, um, but how yeah. are you enjoying this book? Um, I didn't love the Perot chapter just because I'm 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 into this more for the pop culture stuff. Yeah, um, even like a weirdo like Perot, you didn't enjoy. Uh... Well, I like Perot. Uh, I like that he's weird and everything, but I feel like it just, it, it reminded me of things, but it didn't like really give me any new information. Right. Uh, and I mean, the book overall, like I disagree with a lot of it, um, but you know, that's fine. You can read things you disagree with. You can, you can listen to somebody else's point of view. Um, and I do find like there's some kind of like trivia in here. Uh, that, that is interesting that, you know, I'm sure isn't the first time a lot of this is appearing somewhere, but I didn't know it. I didn't know about like, uh, the, the, uh, smells like teen spirit being from, uh, the bikini kill drummer because she was Kathleen Hannah wrote that, uh, about, Yeah. yeah, that because she wore teen spirit deodorant and like it was like a joke of like kurt smells like teen spirit it's because she he's been rubbing up against uh the drummer 
Yeah. And they, but they said that Kurt didn't know that Teen Spirit was a deodorant. Yeah. I don't know if that's yeah. lore. Yeah, that, that we all saw those commercials. Lore. We all saw Teen Spirit commercials. Come on. Nobody mentioned it in the studio when he suggested it. Nobody was like, oh, like the deodorant. I mean, maybe maybe not when he wrote it, but... Uh, I mean, Kurt didn't say to Kathleen Hanna, like, hey, what the fuck? Why'd you write that on my wall? What does that even mean? It was grunge times. Yeah, it's true. It was grunge times. I forget. All right. Well, next week, chapter we, four, five, so and six. We'd be so lucky to be living in grunge times, Tom. We'd have it. I'm trying to bring us back to grunge times. <laughs> Me and you would be on AM radio doing this. <laughs> Look at us. We're both wearing flannel. It's true. Well, I'm wearing like a, a gingham. Yeah. Well, I'm wearing flannel. I haven't showered in a few days. Yeah. I, I, I We both have facial hair right now. Can I, can I just say one more thing about, uh, do you find it um, annoying mm-hmm. or, like I do, oddly comforting when an older person says like, hey, every generation thinks that, melodramatically thinks that like they're going to be the last generation or whatever. like Or do you think that's actually true with you know these generations now where it's no. just like climate change <laughs> threatens humanity? Yeah, because, I mean, the thing about climate change is it's a hoax. No, is that, um, you know, there's still going to be generations, even if life gets, like, way harder, even if, like, a lot of shit happens, it's not like everybody's going to go extinct all of a sudden. Right. I mean, it's going to cause massive problems, but it's not like, well, and that was it. No more children were ever born, like. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just think it's like, to me, it's like, okay, right. Like in generation X was just like, who cares? Like mm-hmm. our lives are going to say, and it's like, yeah, you guys are kind of like fine now. Yeah. Um, And like would Jeff Tweedy had that lyric, like, come on children. You're acting like children. Mm-hmm. Every generation thinks they're the last. Like, it's like, yeah. okay. Like that guy's like got a good head on his shoulders maybe Mm -hmm. maybe we are being a little melodramatic maybe we should just keep burning fossil fuels and everything (laughs) will be fine yeah i mean there's going up into space yeah it's fine i do think it's funny that he he talks about gen x uh as like the only generation that like older generations were like this is what you are and they were like all right (laughs) that's fine just kind of didn't care I like the idea. Like that's that's I aspire to be Gen X. Just be like, <laughs> all right, I'm gonna fucking like people make fun of uh Gen Xers to or like they have no ambition, they just work at the coffee shop. It's like sounds great. Yeah. Yeah, isn't that what the American dream was? He does I, I did think it was interesting. He talks about that, how it's like everybody talks about like uh, the generation behind them is like they're soft. They don't know. And it's like, well, that's a fucking idea. You don't want to get in a situation where it's like, you know, the generation that came after mine, very good survival skills, <laughs> much yeah. better than me. But also, like, I don't know. I just had a kid. I want my son to have an easy, like, I had an easy life. And my dad is really happy that I had an easier life than him. And I want my son to have an even easier life than me. Everybody everybody who's not a piece of shit wants their kid, wants the best for their children and, and the generation before them. Like, I mean, I think like millennials are one of, I, I've talked to you about this, uh, 
where I think we're one of the first generations, we're the first that sees the generation after us and we're like, they've got it rough. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Like, uh, they're growing up with all this shit that like came into our lives at like as we were growing up and but like wasn't that bad but like now it's like oh this is they're fucked like they got these phones like at least at least i didn't have a phone the first you know yeah uh 20 years of my life or whatever although for any gen zers that i've like interacted with their attitude towards that attitude our attitude Uh is just gonna like relax shut up we're fine (laughs) which good for them they they should feel that way Uh, i think they're a little bit like gen gen z is kind mm. of like gen x like they have a little bit more nihilism of like it's more of a trolling like fuck it nothing matters rather when gen x is just like fuck it i don't care well and that is what gen z is like nobody should care about anything because nothing is real and everything sucks well yeah and that's what gen z like trolls millennials about of like oh you yo you care about everything (laughs) yeah i'm gonna stop caring about anything tom it's gonna be great yeah me hey tim let's join gen z Let's do it. I mean, I, I am, I, (laughs) by my age, I am in Gen Z. (laughs) Well, you're closer to Gen Z than I am, but yeah, yeah, maybe I am. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we can, we can become honorary Gen Zers by, uh, I don't know, trolling our friends. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, are you Gen Z? Sound off in the comments. Will you welcome me and Tom into the fold? (laughs) If not, what do we have to do? Yeah. Um, are you reading along? Sound off in yeah. the comments. Oh, yeah, we want to yeah. hear your... Yeah, like, if you're I reading along, with, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, with both of us reading, and I think some people... I saw on the Discord, some people were going out and getting the book. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, let's have it. Let's Hey, let's, let's make this a true freaking book club. Hey, let's make this like a 21st century version of a book club? That's, that's an idea, Tom. Yeah. Hey, an idea for every generation. Hey, maybe this will be what finally brings us all together. Thanks for being a patron. We love you very much. This is this is a long episode, Tom. Yeah, it sure is. I got to go to bed. I had whiskey. I'm whiskey drunk. That's what I was talking about. Like, Pearl Jam was right, man. The, the <laughs> mega corporations are fucking controlling us, and everybody's fine with it. Yeah. I'll see when, you guys. when you get drunk, you do turn like more Gen X. It's very annoying. I do. I that's a, I am Gen X at heart. Like I just want to not care about anything. All my references are from like late seventies sitcoms for some reason. <laughs> well, Tim, you can't. Gen Z is not going to let you in by saying all this stuff. Yeah, I know. I, I you know, I, I transcend all generations. I'm like, <laughs> I'm a sage. All right. Uh, uh, Tim said we love you very much. We'll see you next week. <laughs>